Wednesday, we've spent uh, the last few weeks looking at prayers, specifically prayers that we all pray, some of which uh, we've been calling one-word prayers because at the moment, quite frankly, that's, that's all we've got. And, and maybe we're on the run, uh, but, uh, but we've looked at help and we've looked at thanks and we've looked at yes, which, by the way, is just saying yes to following Jesus. We, uh, last week, Adam walked us through when we asked the question, why, to God. Today's one-word prayer very intentionally follows last week's prayer. Uh, uh, what we're talking about reminds me of the story about a five-year-old boy who was, who was saying the prayer for dinner uh, one night. And he said, dear God, thank you for the pancakes. And when he was done, his folks looked at him and said, um, why would you thank God for pancakes when we're having chicken? And, and he smiled and said, I just thought I'd see if he's paying attention. Uh, and I, you know, one of the reasons that kind of stuff makes me smile is because there's a little bit of a glimpse, uh, I think, of me in that story as well. Because every once in a while, I like to check and see if God's paying attention too. Uh, but other times, uh, I'm kind of afraid he is. Are you ever that way? Ever afraid God is paying attention to what you're doing, what you're saying, what you're thinking, where you're going? Uh, if this is your first time with us, by the way, uh, online, thanks for joining us there or here in the room. My name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned online because I want to make sure because we never get to see them in this room. But we have, uh, we know over 300 people who join us each week online. So thank you all for being there with us. And uh, this morning is one of those good news, bad news kind of mornings. So when you're given the option between good news and bad news, what do you want first? And always take the bad news first. Uh, so, so I'm going to dish up today. Listen, I still remember sitting in my office uh, with someone who wanted to talk about making their commitment to follow Jesus. She was asking me about being baptized. And we talked about that. And when we finished talking about it, she uh, looked at me and had this troubled look in her eyes. And she said, what happens after I'm baptized? I mean, what happens if I sin after I'm, I'm baptized? And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And she said, the Bible says that when we give our lives to Jesus, that all our sins are forgiven, right? And I said, yeah, because we had just looked, as we were talking about it, one of the verses we looked at was what Peter said in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? We talked actually even about Psalm 103. He has taken our sins away from us, uh, from us as far as the east is from the west. And so she looked at me, and she said, well, I mean, when I'm baptized, my, my slate is wiped clean, right? So what happens if I sin after I'm baptized? And you know what she's wondering there, right? Because I wonder if you've wondered the same thing. I mean, what happens if I sin, if, if, I, if I blow it? I mean, is it, is it game over? Does, does God not love me anymore? Do I need to stop going to church so I have to turn my Bible back in? I mean, have you ever wondered those kind of things? You ever, that question ever bother you? Because if it's bothered you, let me tell you what I told her. I said, oh, listen, it's not if you sin. It's when you sin. Because you are going to, right? And then I showed her one of my go-to passages. It's in, all the way at the end of the New Testament. In 1 John, this is in the YouVersion Bible app. If you've got that, I want to make sure you take all of this home. John writes to the early church, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So what we're going to do this morning is in this prayer that we're talking about, we're going to see how God wants this to play out 
in our lives, because this has, this has a tendency to be a problem for those who are following and those who are watching our lives. So here's the bad news. Brace yourselves, put your helmets on, buckle up. Uh, again, in your notes on the Uversion app, because I want to make sure you take this home. But everyone who follows Jesus struggles with and will sometimes lose to sin. We all struggle with it. We've all blown it. It's verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. As a matter of fact, in verse 10, it says if we claim we've not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, which, by the way, seems like a bad idea to me to call God a liar, right? Uh, maybe you've heard about the kid who brought home his report card and, and had uh, five Fs and one D. Some of you are thinking, heard about that kid? I was that kid. Uh, his dad said, how do you explain five Fs and one D? The kid said, I guess I spent too much time on that one subject. Uh, I don't know if you've ever felt like that could be your report card in following Jesus, right? Because the fact is we've all chosen to disobey God's commands. So I want to make sure you get this. So it's also in the, it's in the notes. Uh, everyone who follows Jesus struggles with and will sometimes lose to sin. Let's all read out loud together what's in the parentheses. Are you ready? Including me. Okay, just need to make sure we all get that. Let's do it one more time. Including me. If you struggle with sin, would you raise your hand? If you struggle with sin, I'm, I'm, hold them up there. Just taking a look. Making sure we all know. Okay, good, 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 good. We're all on top of it. Remember I said this. This causes a problem. Here's why. Some people think uh, that, that as Christians, we don't sin, but we know that we do. Uh, excuse me. They think we don't sin, but they know they do. And that, that creates a barrier they cannot get across because they don't think they can get to where we are. Some people know that Christians sin, but we pretend we don't. And that creates a barrier they will not cross. As a matter of fact, there's a word that is used for people who pretend they don't sin. Do you, remember, you know what that word is? Hypocrite. And sometimes we've earned that name, right? Paul would write this to Timothy. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, which just means everyone needs to accept this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. And some people have understood that to say that it's, and, and it's possible, by the way, that Paul is wanting us all to agree and fully accept the fact that he is the worst of all sinners. And if you know the Apostle Paul's backstory, I mean, it's rough. It is just rough. And so you might agree with that. But some have suggested that what he's saying is, here's a statement that we all need to accept for ourselves. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I would have to say Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom Mike is the worst. And to fully embrace that verse, you would have to put your name in there. See, Paul isn't asking us to give, us, give him the award for being the worst sinner. He's asking you and me to realize that we struggle with sin too, and we need someone to save us. And the Bible gives us some insights into our struggle with sin, by the way. And I wonder if you already know these, but let's just say them out loud. What causes my struggle with sin is not new. That's, we just need to make sure we all know that together because what that means is you're not the first person to struggle with whatever it is you're struggling with. You're certainly not going to be the last either. And there are a lot of other people at the same time who are some maybe in this room who are also struggling with whatever it is you're struggling with. Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. 
The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. But here's what happens. We think no one else has faced what I'm facing, at least not many people. And so I don't have anybody I can talk to about this. And I, 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 no one who will understand what I'm up against because no other husband has had to and no other wife has had to put up with a husband who and no other parents and no man, woman, or child. And, and it's not true. What you're struggling with, lots of other people have struggled with it before you. Lots of people will struggle with it after you're gone. And way more people than you know are struggling with it right now in their life. You are not alone. This next one may surprise you, though. The sin I'm struggling with is familiar. Here's what that means, by the way. Most of us don't continually commit new sins that we've never committed before. We're not breaking a lot of new ground, okay? Uh, we typically find ourselves struggling with the same things that we struggled with yesterday and last week and months ago and last year. Does it surprise you to find out that not only are you not the only one who's struggling with whatever you're struggling with, but you're probably struggling with the same thing you've struggled with all along. When the Bible talks about it in Hebrews, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So, by the way, when you're reading this, you have to picture as they would have the marathon race in the ancient Olympics, a, pol a coliseum, filled with people, and I don't know what you picture when you think of that. I tend to think of the horseshoe in Columbus where the Buckeyes play, 110,000 people watching, uh, those down on the field. Yeah, it's okay to cheer. That's right. Uh, probably not what, what the author was picturing. But this picture refers back to a chapter before where they're talking about the heroes of our faith. So not only is the Colosseum filled, it's filled with heroes from your faith. Chapter 11 talks about Noah and Moses, and Rahab, and David, those who have gone before us, who now watch us run the race of faith, cheer us on. And then he says, let us throw off everything that hinders us, because athletes would train uh, using weights, much like a baseball player would put a weight on the end of, a, of their bat and swing that around a little bit. Uh, but when they go up the bat, that weight comes off. And so the author is saying, it, maybe it's habits, maybe it's pleasures, self-indulgences, it could be associations, relationships that hold us back, their weights on us. And then his next words, and the sin that so easily entangles. So here's that question again. And, and only you can answer this. I can't answer it for you. I can only answer it for me. Is it really dozens and dozens of sins that you struggle with? Or is it just kind of two or three that sort of have your number? And they show up in different ways, but when you go backwards, it always seems to be the same thing. And for some, it's alcoholism. For some, it's lying. Could be pornography, could be pride, could be financial integrity. There's a number of things it could be. But whatever it is, it just keeps coming back to that. We don't typically continue to commit new sins that we've never battled before. Typically, we're battling the same one. We just battled them over and over again, day after day, month after month, year after year. And the problem with that is, after a while, we can begin to think, what is wrong with me? Because certainly no one else does this. It's just me. Nobody else at MCC struggles with this. I'm the only one in the room like 
this. Why would God tolerate anyone like me? And what you don't know is that we're all like you. All of us in the room. Here's the last. My struggle with sin has a cost. And, and here it is. And in my opinion, this is the worst part of the bad news. And this is, by the way, this will be the end of the bad news. But this is the worst part. Uh, because the worst of the bad news is the cost of the sin is, is separation. Uh, in Isaiah, we read this. God's arm is not amputated. He can still save. God's ears are not stopped up. He can still hear. There's nothing wrong with God. The wrong is in you. Your wrong-headed lives caused the split between you and God. Your sins got between you so that he doesn't hear. Our sin gets between us and begins to separate us. We begin to move away from him. And by the way, God's not going anywhere. We inch away from him and we back away from him until finally we don't know what happened. I don't know if you've ever heard anyone say, how did I get here? I, I don't, how did I get where I am in my life today? And the answer is you got there the same way all of us do. A little at a time. Uh, and here's the other cost, by the way, because it's not just separation, it's death. Romans 6 says this, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And listen, death, death comes in so many forms. We've all seen marriages die. We've all seen families die. We've all seen careers die. We've all seen faith just seem to shrivel up and die in someone. The cost is huge. And it scares us, which is why I think maybe we respond the way so many people do. See if you haven't done more than one of these. When, I'm, when I sort of feel confronted with my sin, I try to deny it. I didn't do that. It wasn't my fault. Or I compare my sins, right? Listen, I may not be perfect, but I'm not as bad as you, right? Uh, or I rationalize it. I'm only human. I'm, I'm, I'm wired this way. It's the way God made me. It's kind of not my fault. Or, or, or I blame others. Listen, I'm the victim here. Uh, uh, I got in with the wrong crowd. Uh, they made me do it. And then what we find is those may work in the moment, maybe, but they don't work for any longer than that. That's the bad news. And that is bad news. But here's the good news. The good news is that God loves to forgive sinners. That's great news for us. I don't know, this has happened 20 or 14 years ago, excuse me, 14 years ago, it was the summer of 2008, there was a banking error that was made uh, causing a deposit of $1,772.50, so keep that number in mind, $1,772.50, but it showed up in their account as $177,250. It was Randy and Melissa Pratt's account that it went from $1,772.50 to $177,250. Now, if that happened to you, think about that jump in, in numbers. If that happened to you, what would you do? And you're in church, so you have to think the truth. You're not going to say it, right? No, I don't want to expect you to say it, but you have to think it. Well, instead of telling them the truth, the Pennsylvania co couple withdrew the money, quit their jobs, and moved to Florida because no one's going to find them down there, right? Uh, but when law enforcement officials caught up with them and made the arrest, the, arrest, the 53-year-old Pratt said he considered the money a gift from God. It was a gift from God. Seems like an inaccurate picture of God. I'm not sure that's how he hands out money. But I wonder, I tell you that because I want you to wonder if you maybe have an inaccurate picture of God too. Maybe not in the financial area, but in this area of sin. 
you have an inaccurate picture. The Bible tells us in James 5, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. God himself says, I'll wipe the slate clean for each of them. I'll forget they ever sinned. Is that the picture you have of God? Do you know why he does that, by the way? Because it's always been about relationship with him. We think in terms sometimes of faith, and it's the word on the street, it's about rules and following all the rules. And it's never been about rules for God. It's always been about relationship because we're his children. So what's the solution? I just want to say, it's going to be easy. This may not be simple. But the first part of it is to admit. In other words, say, I did this. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I did this. First John 1 John 1.9. Again, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us. In confession, we shed this myth of innocence, right? That, we have, that we've always only been good. As if anyone believes that, both individually and corporately as a church, and we ask God to heal our world. That word confess, by the way, means to say the same thing about. In other words, when we confess our sins, we are saying the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin. And we recognize the seriousness of the offense, and we're confessing that we are sinners in desperate need of someone to save us and clean us. And it's not just, by the way, the Bible doesn't just talk about confessing to God. The Bible talks about confessing or admitting it to each other. James 5.16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So you find someone that you trust. It can't just be anybody. It's not just everybody. You find someone that you trust who is following Jesus, and both of those things need to be true. You trust them, and they're following Jesus, and you talk to them about this because they will pray for you, and they'll hold you accountable to walk with you through this. You know, we had a couple of our guys sit down and have this conversation about an accountability group that they're in. I want you to check out a clip of this conversation. And so at the end of each of our check-ins, we... We tell each other, you know, that's what I got this week, and, and I'm in. I think for accountability to be to to be successful, you have to be in. You can't be you can't be half-hearted, half-heartedly in your group. You have to be completely transparent and open to the changes that God is calling you to, and that your brothers in Christ that you've trusted are calling you to. You know, I think I think we agree that this is this is a need that exists. And thus, it's something we need to commit to for the rest of our life because we're always going to have those sin struggles. And we always need somebody that we can go to um, and be open and honest with. And, uh, in a lot of those things, I think Sean mentioned, there's a lot of things that he's um, open and honest with with his wife. I am as well. But then there's, there's certain things that um, might be hurtful or might be a struggle that we hesitate with where with, with each other, okay, we've committed to this. This is the point. Um, so let's, let's do it, but you have to be all in. It can't be a, a temporary or short-term thing, um, or you're not going to have the investment and the trust that needs to be built up as well. Yeah, so listen, we just, we just lifted a little bit out of that conversation that they had. If you want to listen more to what Sean and Chad had to say about this, you can catch it on our YouTube channel. Uh, if you haven't already subscribed, <laughs> well, you should have. Uh, but if you haven't, right, you can do it by searching for Miamisburg Christian Church or Explore MCC on YouTube. So go back to 1 John 1, 9 for just a moment. I want to make sure you notice the first word. 
says if. By the way, that word if implies that some people might not choose to do this. And I'm telling you, if you want this forgiveness from God, if you want this closeness in your relationship with him, we need to confess our sins to him, to be honest and transparent and authentic and real in our prayers. Listen, we can't hide anything from him anyway. If we think we're confessing our sins to God to tell him something he doesn't already know, we're fooling ourselves. He already knows everything about you, whether you tell him or not. We're telling him because of our relationship with him, because sin separates us. And admitting it to him opens that relationship back up. And in case you're wondering what God will do when you go to him and confess your sins, he won't judge you. He won't turn his back on you. He won't ridicule you. He won't send you to this special place in hell that's been reserved just for you. He forgives you. Over and over again, the Bible talks about it. Proverbs 28, you'll never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Confess them, give them up, and God will show you mercy. And so when we're apologizing to someone, we say, I'm sorry, please, what? Forgive me. I can see some of you are not good at asking for, okay. So uh, just a reminder, when we talk to God about this, we're asking for forgiveness. Please forgive me. Psalm 32 says, what happiness for those whose guilt has been forgiven. What relief for those who have confessed their sins and God has cleared the record. By the way, that was the last song we sang, right? Your love never gives up on me. It doesn't run out. It doesn't, doesn't leave me stranded. Uh, it's, I never come to the end of it. Your love never stops. So we started with 1 John 1. I want to remind you again of who John's talking to. I told you at the beginning. But he's writing to people just like us. He's writing to the first century church, people who have been trying to figure out, some of the people in the group, I'm sure we're trying to figure out who Jesus is and, and, and who he's going to be in their lives. And they needed to know that God isn't this sort of one sin and you're out kind of a God. But others, like many of us, in the group he's talking to, had pledged their lives to Jesus already through their baptism, and they needed to be reminded nobody expects perfection, least of all our Father, who loves you and knows your weaknesses and your strengths and your leanings and your tendencies. He knows you better than you know yourself. So the very next thing John would say, the very next verse is, my dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. But, any, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And that's why each week we stop. Because we need to remind each other, we need to remind ourselves of who's who in this relationship and how Jesus relates to us in our sins. So we, in just a moment, going to take the wafer that reminds us of Jesus's body that was given for us on the cross. And it's interesting to me, Jesus gave us, when he instituted the Last Supper, he gave us something to hold in our hand. Not just an idea we think, something we hold in our hands that tells us a story about the lengths he'll go to so that we can be forgiven. And the juice, which reminds us of Jesus' blood, shed for us the atoning sacrifice, as John would say, for 
not just the sins of the world, but for our sins specifically, which reminds us that when we say we're sorry, man, he is right there ready to forgive. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do this together, okay? Father, thank you that we can come to a moment like this, and we can hold in our hands. We we don't have to try to conjure up this idea. We actually get to hold in our hands something that reminds us of what we're talking about, of what the Bible, the story it weaves from beginning to end, from how the world began and when sin entered, we allowed it into our lives. We're not just looking back at the garden. We know we've allowed it in our lives. So God, we come to you today. This is a sin, or this is a prayer we all need to pray because we have all struggled with sin. And there are times, there are times when we win, but what we remember and feel the most are the times we lose. So help us. And we're going to take a moment just now. If you would talk to God about where you are with this. happens, it hasn't happened yet in, in the first century, but this coming Friday is when we celebrate what happened to Jesus on the cross. This bread takes us back to that moment. It's not just a memory, it's as if we go back in time to what Jesus did for us so that we know how much he loves us and will do to make sure that we can be purified from our sins. And so we take the bread that reminds us of his body. struggle with still yet to come and again sometimes we'll sometimes we'll win but sometimes we won't and we need to ask forgiveness again and his blood covers it all so we remember Jesus thank you for what you've done not just on the cross but what you have done every day of our lives to this point when we come to you and talk to you about where we've fallen short. And we're so proud of the times when we when we do things that actually helps people see you. The way we speak to people, the way we treat them, when our thoughts are all moving in the right direction. And we are so grateful to you, the Holy Spirit, that you help us with that. So grateful. But perhaps what we remember the most that is most painful is when we fail you. When we fail to help people see you know that's why we're here, to help people come to you. And so thank you for forgiving us, grabbing our hands from where we have fallen, and lifting us back up 
so that we might continue our journey with you. Thank you for not expecting perfection. Thank you for not expecting sinlessness. Thank you for helping us to be faithful. In Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.